If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Friends, this is a topic today that I believe so passionately in because I believe that every single nonprofit should have their own podcast. And so today, we are going to be having a conversation with Krista McMahon about starting a podcast for your nonprofit. Let me just share with you, first of all, how I met Kristen. I met Kristen through a podcast. So I was guesting on Joan Gary's podcast, and she reached out to me after hearing me on that and actually had the honor to actually be able to go in and facilitate a board retreat with her organization. She leads the Robert H. Jackson Center. But I I think it's kind of funny that we met through someone else's podcast, and now we're going to have a conversation about podcasting. So let me share with you just a little bit more about Kristen and about the Robert H. Jackson Center before we actually start this conversation. So the Robert H. Jackson Center amplifies, promotes, and honors the legacy of Robert H. Jackson. And he is a late Supreme Court justice and also, by the way, the lead prosecutor at the Nuremberg Trials, which I just think is one of the coolest things ever, which is also, by the way, when Kristen first reached out, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, lead prosecutor at the Nuremberg Trials? I got to know more. I have to know more. And so as a center... As I've already said, they're really amplifying his legacy, but they envision a world where the universal principles of equality, fairness, and justice prevail. And so as part of the board retreat that I got to be a part of, I learned about their podcast, Liberty Under Law, which ran 24 episodes in 2021. And I got to share with you, I fell in love with their podcast. If you're a history nerd, if you're interested in all things around history, equality, fairness, justice, World War II, whatever. This is an amazing, amazing podcast. And they have incredible, really like incredible speakers. And they're also doing a great job of reusing other content and bringing that through to their podcast as well. I've also said, you know, that I've always said that every nonprofit should have a podcast. And so it is my real honor to be able to have this conversation with Kristen McMahon, who is the leader of the Robert H. Jackson Center, and a recovering lawyer herself. Kristen, 
Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Dolph. It's so nice to be here. And I'll share with you, most of the intros are less than two minutes long. And this one went almost three because that's how much great stuff I have to say about you and the Robert H. Jackson Center. I kind of want to put you in my pocket and carry you around with me so you can do that everywhere. <laughs> but there you go. So I, I think a good place for us to start is what what made you all decide to start a podcast? So at the start of the pandemic, so the Jackson Center primarily for its, at that point, not quite 20 year history, has focused on in-person programming. And we are in a beautiful historic mansion in Jamestown, New York. It was at one point a Masonic uh, house as well. So we have a theater and a banquet room. And so that tended to be where we did our programs. And so when the pandemic hit, there was a little bit of internal panic within within the organization of, well, if our bread and butter is in-person programs and we can't do that, what comes next? And so we started with Facebook live programs. Uh, and I was actually doing one a week, <laughs> video a week. And the first two really were just me talking about, hey, this is what I just learned. And I realized quite quickly, that's very boring. And also I wasn't learning fast enough because I was trying to do all other things to really, to really keep that viable. So it turned into a conversation between me and a guest, sometimes two or three guests, depending on what the topic was. And so we started that in, I think, officially in late April of 2020. And I did I did one of those programs a week until about August. And that was the first time I had trouble finding a guest for the next week. Also, that was pretty exhausting. So, um, so then we moved to every other week just to give myself a little bit of a, of a break. Starting in 21, my board requested us to be thinking about things a little bit differently. So understanding that the pandemic is not going to be a short-term thing. So we're still not back to in-person programming, which I think even early in 2020, everybody hoped by the end of the year, we'd be back to quote unquote normal. And so they asked me to think of other ways that we could deliver our programs. And a podcast seemed like a very easy thing to add because we already had all of this recorded material. But from my perspective, rather than focus on what we had just spent the last year doing, we started the podcast with new episodes in 21. And our goal, a slight shift in 21 is we were doing two virtual programs a month versus every other week. So it, that's how we ended up with 24 um, or close to 24 episodes for 2021. I did take a little bit of time off in August, and that's when we reused some of the episodes from 2020 that seemed to fit timely-wise. We had some really great reactions to some of our programs in 2020, and people were curious as to what had developed from there. And so that was also something we were paying attention to. And so we went back and had update conversations with a couple of the guests from 2020. So that's very cool. I want to jump back, though. So you started with some Facebook Lives. For a lot of people, Facebook Lives are scary. Like to do a Facebook Live, they're like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do that. It's it's really simple. All you really need is a computer with a good camera, or if you have a separate camera, if you are lucky enough to have access to a separate camera, that's just from a quality perspective, ideal. And for me, so I have a little bit of a journalism background. So radio was not unusual for me. I was a, I was a radio news caster in college, but the video side of it was, was newer to me. 
And I actually found it less intimidating talking in a Facebook live format because it was really only like I was talking with one person. And so, yes, we were videotaping it and broadcasting that, but it really felt more like an intimate conversation as opposed to, gosh, how many people are watching? Um, I also had some of my staff would sort of be on the back end. So if there were questions coming up on Facebook, they would just forward that to me in the Zoom chat. So I wasn't trying to monitor Mm -hmm. my conversation, actively listening with, hey, what are people asking on Facebook? So having that support was also helpful. But I would say, I don't think you have to be comfortable in front of a camera in order to start this. I think you need to think about it as this is just a conversation I'm having with maybe myself, uh, if you are, if you are someone broadcasting just on your own or with a friend or someone you're getting to know. And I would agree with you. And I also think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves for those first one, two, three episodes to be perfect. And, you know, once you get into the dozens or the hundreds of episodes, you're like, wow, yeah, I... I've gotten better at this over the last little while. Yeah, the very the very first one I did was actually there was an anniversary. So the pandemic hit for us just at the start, basically, of the 75th anniversary of the International Military Tribunal at Nuremberg. And so we had had a series of things sort of teed up for to commemorate that anniversary. And so I started in April of 2020 with, OK, this is what I just learned about this thing. And I think I talked for close to a half an hour straight and I wrote down almost every word that I said too. So I feel like even looking back at it now, I, it's a little cringy for me because I'm very clearly reading, but that also helped me conceptualize, okay, this is not this is not the right format for us. We need to do something differently. And the number of times things have gone wrong in a podcast, you know, like I forgot to plug my computer in. So, the, so it completely shuts down or the internet goes out or my old computer had a had a tendency to reboot unexpectedly in the middle of something. And so, um, you know, you just sort of roll with these things and piece it together at the end. And certainly by the first time you sort of lose your camera connection, you're like, all right, well, the worst that has happened could happen. And if this really is the worst that can happen, this isn't too bad. So I can figure it out from here. And so were you sending episodes to an editor or was somebody editing them or what did that process look like? Like when I hear you say, okay, computer shut down, my assumption is someone makes the episode work. This was really a, a, my staff and I figuring this out on the fly, if you will. Um, so none of us really had, like I had done some video production in high school, but that's not giving away my age. That was a long time ago. Uh, so, you know, for us, it was figuring figuring that out. So the one I'm thinking out, actually, there were three separate disconnections in one of the episodes. I think we have both the three chunks of something and then also one that we tried to put all together. That is also one I have not yet, but eventually want to send to the person currently working with us on our podcast and, and broadcast editing to try and smooth that out as much as possible. Um, we post all of these on YouTube as well, which just gets to be a little challenging in terms of going back and fixing mm -hmm. mistakes because you break links when you do, typically, if you have to re-upload a video, you break a link there. Um, and so you lose some of that audience data and things like that. I'm not sure that's wholly important in this particular instance, but no, it was really my communications person at the time, Nicole, who was like, okay, let me see if I can figure this out. Um, and then Nicole actually moved on to a new position at another organization midway through last year. So in August, September of 21. And so we actually had one of our summer interns who stayed with us through the fall, take over 
the production wow. of the video and audio. She was curious to learn. And so she would do the edits um, in iMovie, I think mm -hmm. largely. And then actually at your uh, suggestion, while there was really great content, there were certainly some, some challenges with both the audio and the video of it. We uh, have hired uh, a, a fairly recent college graduate uh, who is looking to start this type of business. Mm -hmm. And so we have him at a pretty good price point. Uh, and uh, he is building his portfolio while he is doing amazing work for us. Good for you and also good for him. Uh, and and I, I will share with you, I mean, one of the things in my own podcasting journey, I remember in terms of audio quality, doing so many things not well. And for me, like if there's an organization out there thinking about starting a podcast, it's so much better to like get the audio quality as good as you can early on. You know, that that means things like, you know, like you and I were just talking about, by the way, we're using the same mics, the my, same <laughs> brand of mic. We're in two different cities. You know, it means, you know, dropping the whopping $125 for a decent mic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, if you catch it at the right time of year with the sale and things like that, I think one, of, I have one at home as well, because when I started the broadcast, I was at home. So I had one there. And then when we moved back to physically being in the center itself, I realized I was still sometimes doing things at home. And so I just replicated, but I think I got my second mic for like $99 kind of because I just happened to hit a sale at the right time. So. Wow. Well, there you go. Although I will also say, you know, just if, if anyone's like, okay, we're ready, don't wait for the sale. It's yes, worth the extra no, 20, it's worth the extra 26 <laughs> bucks. But if you want a yes. second mic or a third mic, I don't know why that reminded me. I do have to share with you kind of an amusing, not amusing, but amusing story. So for a couple of years, I traveled with a, with a road mic because sometimes I'd be recording stuff in hotel rooms when I was on the road for work. And that's R-H-O-D-E, Mike. And and it's like a long cylindrical mic. And one time I just threw it in my bag and I went through TSA and they pull my bag. And before they even open it up, they say, what kind of gun barrels in your bag? So apparently the mic looks exactly like a gun barrel. And I'm like, none, none, please open it up, none. <laughs> I don't own a gun. I don't know how to use a gun. Please open the bag. <laughs> I, I will stand over here with my hands up. So there's there's no qualm about anything. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, so so I, I learned a couple lessons there. One is the road mic is not the best travel mic. My blue <laughs> Yeti is such a better travel mic. But so one of one of the other things that you had mentioned uh, around around the early days of your podcast was kind of this need to feed content. And, you know, and you're like, okay, at first, the, doing it every week was exhausting. Yes. It, you know, part of it was, so the Jackson Center has at the moment three and a half staff. So we have three full-time staff and one person who is part-time. So I also am the chief program person as well. And so finding the guests, as you mentioned, we have the great luxury that Robert H. Jackson, given his local career, his federal career, his Supreme Court career, and his Nuremberg uh, time, we have an enormous scope of things that we can talk about. And we had a program theme in 2020 that was called The Work Left to Do. And actually, now I'm wondering if I'm confusing that with 21. Sorry, 21 was The Work Left to Do. I'm not remembering what our program theme was for 2020. Um, and so I was trying to find people also under that theme to be able to have these conversations with you know, so it was also a little bit for me, is this actually part of the theme? Is this not part of the theme? And I would basically finish one podcast or one broadcast and be searching for, okay, who am I going to talk to next? 
to be honest, I did a lot of code outreach. So I am fortunate that within our board and within our circle, we have a lot of experts on a lot of things. So I tapped into them sort of periodically to give me also a little bit of a break because I knew they'd say yes to me. So that wasn't, that was much less stressful, but for, and I, honestly still continue to do this with our programming today. So we still do the tea times. We're down to once a month in 22 because we are back to in-person programming as well. And with our staff size, that's a fair amount to, to manage. But I cold email a lot of people in order to, to find guests. I have been pleasantly, I'm going to say validated because it's not really a surprise uh, that most people are very willing to talk. And so, you know, it's finding the guests. It's more, for me, the stressful part was more like researching to understand, is this person the right person for me to be reaching out to versus really any worry that they were going to say no. Certainly I got a few no's and certainly I also got a, Hey, that sounds great. I just can't do it the day you asked me to do it. Can we do it some other time, which in my mind was like, great, now I'm planned at some, like I've got one at least three weeks out. That's amazing. And so what I found hardest was the research, like the time it took to do the research to find the person, the asking of the person was pretty easy. Yeah. And are you batching that research now or or how do you do that research now? So this year's theme is a little bit easier for me. So it's democracy on trial. And a lot of people are sort of already in our world on that. Uh, And so it's been a little bit easier, although I certainly have reached out to. So we started the year talking to the Varieties of Democracy Institute, which is based out of Stockholm. Sorry, based out of Sweden, not Stockholm, uh, Gothenburg. And that was absolutely a cold outreach. And I did that, I think, November of last year. They really wanted to talk in March because that's when their report is released. And I thought they would be perfect for January because who who among us really knew that there were varieties of democracy. So, you know, to, to start a whole year's program on democracy on trial. But at the same time, I asked them for that. I also asked them, would they be one of our last guests of the year? Because I was curious about that arc of democracy hmm. over the course of the year and having them shortly after they released their report in March felt too close in time. So they are going to hopefully be, we're still working on the date, but either our October or November. I knew in January that they would also be back at the end of the year. Also going down to one program, virtually is helpful. It's just a little bit less to manage, which is great. And then our in-person programming, we've also been adapting into the podcast as well. So we do continuing legal education seminars for lawyers, but that are really, I think, generally interesting for people. So for example, last week, we had the descendants of Plessy and Ferguson. So from the famous Supreme Court case, Plessy v. Ferguson, They were our Constitution Day speakers uh, just about 10 days ago. So that was technically part of a continuing legal education seminar for lawyers. We also had more than 200 students here in our theater to participate in as well. But that will also become a podcast episode because as much as as much of the material as we're doing, basically any any programming we're doing ends up as a podcast at some point. So two things. First of all, I cannot wait for that episode. <laughs> okay. Um, I, uh, you already know I'm a history nerd. I cannot wait. So that's number one. Number two, though, one of the things I really admire about what you're doing is you're essentially taking things you'd already be doing and repurposing it back into the podcast for a broader, wider audience. So if 200 people came to the Plessy v. Ferguson Day, but now this can go out to thousands of people. 
Absolutely. And from the other side too, so Plessy and Ferguson, they have, they have started a foundation based out of New Orleans. And so for them, you and I were talking a little bit about this before we officially got started. It's an added media portion for them too. And so it's something that they can promote on our behalf. So that also drives traffic to us. One of the things I really like about the podcast, so repurposing what we do makes it easy but also there are people who listen to things like that who would never tune into a broadcast or might not have found us otherwise. Mm -hmm. They might just be looking for, hey, I'm interested in podcasts on World War II. I'm interested in podcasts on justice or I'm interested in podcasts on law stuff. Um, and we come up at a, under all of those. Uh, and it was the pandemic was actually really good for us in that perspective because it got us out of our strictly, fairly hyper local. Mm -hmm. audience. We do programs actually all over the world. So we we have a really good reputation in New York State. We have a really good reputation in, in Nuremberg, Germany. We are less well known, I would say, nationally. And that's part of what this podcast and these broadcasts also help us work on. The number of people who have found us, discovered us because of either the Facebook Live broadcast or the podcast is pretty significant. See, that's what I was going to ask. What were some of the expected or unexpected benefits of having a podcast? Yeah, so it helps people interact with us in a different way. Um, it is also material. So when we are applying for grants or or things like that, it is easy material for me to include uh, in so people have an understanding of what we're doing and what we're talking about. These are very easy links for my board to forward around. So, hey, we just did this program on Nuremberg, new person we're trying to bring into our world. I know you're interested in this sort of stuff. Here's a quick, it'll take you, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. You can listen to it at your leisure or watch it at your leisure, depending on which we're talking about. The number of ways we can use these materials is pretty great. They're even locally, the city of Jamestown has been doing a lot of, of work as well. And so when I have a conversation with someone who is working through technology issues for low-income residents, um, which was a gentleman we talked to uh, in 2020. He's he's in the city of Detroit, and he was one of our updates in 21. Like, I could forward that to the mayor of this town be like, hey, I know you're working on these things as well. Also, if you want to talk to this person and you're not comfortable doing that, like making that connection, you're just let me know. Like, I've already talked to him. He'd be willing to talk to you. And so facilitating those conversations as well. The number of times I have been able to connect someone from a broadcast or broadcast we did with another podcast or broadcast we did is also pretty significant. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, I like that idea of connecting. We're all trying to make the world better. And those connections are really what is going to get that done. And so this also helps me facilitate those. Yeah. I, and, and I'll share with you, I'm, I was in a similar place in that I was really blown away by how how the podcast helped me build stronger, better relationships and also build new relationships. Like I, I was really kind of, and, and it's one of the reasons why I'm like, hey, every nonprofit should have a should have a podcast. Like it helps them identify their community, the people who care passionately about what they do. And, and in many cases, connect with them by like bringing them on the podcast. Right, absolutely. And it, it opens you up to their audiences as well. So each one of us comes with our own built-in audience. And we all need those audience to keep growing. So me elevating one of our guests that brings them to the attention of our people, them promoting that they were just on our podcast, our broadcast opens us up to their people as well. And so you get those ripple effects 
of throwing the stone in the pond. And so ever broadening circles, which is fantastic. Yes. For some reason, this makes me wonder, and, and your podcast might be different because of the niche, but do you get a lot of um, PR people reaching out to you about guests on the podcast? I don't get a lot, but it does happen. And it's usually someone who has a book that they are interested in promoting. Um, we are pretty selective on that. I, I mean, to be honest, that would be a little bit of a dream of, oh, we really want our person on your broadcast slash podcast, because that in my mind would also mean to me that we have hit a level of recognition where we're not currently at. And so, you know, so I think that would be part of an amazing evolution for what we do, but it does happen. Uh, and I would say it's just something you have to be careful about because when people approach you, they have their own agenda, they have their own reasons in mind for doing that. And you really have to determine, does that also fit what you're trying to do? Yeah. And also we found like when they approach us, they're also approaching and, and new, normally it's like a PR agency, but they're also approaching five or 10 other podcasts. And, you know, there's so much overlap. Like I know for me, like we all listen to similar types of podcasts. And so like when an author comes on and then I hear that same author on five different episodes, of different podcasts, I'm like, I'm done. I've heard this author enough. Yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. It's I will say that I have picked up some guests. Um, so I'm a huge NPR uh, junkie. And so early on, and to be honest, I still continue to do this, when I hear somebody talking on a on another podcast or another broadcast about something, I was like, oh, and I file those names away. I may not use them immediately, uh, but they are certainly, okay, that's clearly an expert in this thing. I also kind of like the idea that it's been a little bit vetted for me already. So I know that the one trap I I think people and something I'm aware of is if you get all of your sources from the same source, there's a particular bent there as well. So it's also like not all of my sources come from that, but it's, it's usually, oh, I've been thinking about this thing. And then as you know, karma or fate or kismet happens, or what is that? The Bader-Meinhof effect. You, you, you hear something like you've never heard it before. And then all of a sudden it's everywhere that you're looking because all of a sudden you're attuned to it. So there definitely have been times where I'm thinking about, oh, we should really do a program on this. And then all of a sudden I notice 30 different news articles or broadcasts or podcasts talking about that topic. So then I also usually have to shift our angle a little bit because to your point, if everybody's talking about the exact same thing, what, where's our value? Um, that also gives me like, okay, here are the people that they are talking to. So that gives me a sense of people I can reach out to. So I want to ping off that. Before I do, I'm going to I'm gonna gaze in my navel for a minute. Every time I talk to you, I learn a new word. Interstitial from the last time. See, I still remember that word. Now, um, Butter-Meinhof effect. Yes. <laughs> I'm assuming this does not have to do with, you know, butter made from cows. No, so what no, is it's, it's actually Botter. I, oh, and I can't Botter. remember if there's okay. two A's or only one. And I believe it's a psychological phenomenon. Um, but it's, and I'm guessing two psychologists were named Botter and Meinhof. Um, but it is that effect of like, you just start noticing the same thing. Like maybe, maybe you think you're the only Tesla in town. And then all of a sudden you're, you're driving, you're like, there are nine other Teslas. Like, where did those come from? And it's sort of, I, I think the idea is, that you, your consciousness, your attunement to something has changed. And so then you're just picking it up more and more places, but that's yeah, the bottom line. Got it. Right. Okay. Again, not heard of it. So I'm like, wait, I got to learn something new today. <laughs> While I'm talking to you, this is always one of my goals. I have to learn something new. 
I like words. And I really appreciate that about you because like I've often thought that I like words too, but you always pull these words out and I'm like, wait a minute, I need to know more. I need to know more. <laughs> um, but but one of the things that I, that I was going to say like around your NPR and have you you'll file things away, I actually do that as well. The two places I will often do it are conferences and I look at conference agendas and be like, I can't go to that conference, but gosh, this one speaker sounds really interesting. And then the other place that I'll file away, um, I love HBR, Harvard Business Review. And so mm-hmm. so every month when it comes, I read the articles and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to talk to this author. I want to talk to that author. And I'll share with you just one of the cool things that happened for me was at some point HBR realized I was doing this. And so they reached out and they're like, um, can we just send you books? And if you like them, you can tell us. I'm like, um, please. Yes. That's fantastic. I would love this. Um, and so it is kind of neat because like I'll come home from a trip and I'll have like, I have a new book that HBR has sent me. And you know, the books are not cheap either. So so I'm always, I'm always excited to get it because like I got an ex- expensive book that I'm probably going to want to read. But now it also has kind of become my, my shelf of guilt because they send them a little faster pace <laughs> than I can read. <laughs> and so, you know, based on other things I want to read, because as you, as you pointed out, like, you know, I also don't want everything to be, and this is the HBR podcast, you know, so, so based on other stuff I want to read, I'm like, yeah, I, I can't, I can't read a book a week. I can't. So it's also my shelf of guilt now where I'm like, okay. Um, but, but yeah, I, I found that to be, you know, around the relationship building also so amazing that like with a podcast, I can reach out to people and say, Hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And they'd be people I probably would not have conversations with otherwise. Yep. Yeah. I've had some really fascinating conversations. Some are people who are in our world or the people in my world know people, which is helpful, but certainly more and more it's, I'm just going to reach out to you and let's see if you'll be willing to talk to me. There have been a few people that we have pulled in for various virtual programs where some members of my board are like, how'd you get them? I was like, I just, I asked them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, so, as, you know, and we, we certainly for our virtual things, we don't pay an honorarium. Some of our in-person, it's more like travel costs and things like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's also pretty cost less other than some of that initial investment, as you said, in a good mic and a, a good computer or a good camera if you need it. And then honestly, I will say having that person on the back end who can really uh, edit it and really produce it in a way that is quality is also important. Yeah. And, and I'll share with you, and, and you know, for our podcast, like we, we don't pay honorariums either. And, but part of our pitch to prospective guests um, is, you know, in the past, you used to have to get on a plane, go to a conference to speak to 200 people. And now you can come on the podcast for an hour and you get to speak to at least a thousand people, probably more. And and you don't have to try, like you don't have to travel. You don't have to give up three days. You know, you, you literally like, you, you know, you could, since unlike you, and, and we keep, we keep playing with the idea of putting, using video, but we strip the video out. So like literally someone could be in the pajamas. We don't care. I'm sitting in front of my lovely backdrop, just I, in case. <laughs> I know, and I felt bad. I, sh- I should have made sure you knew because I saw that too. I was like, no, oh no. my gosh, I'm so sorry. Um, no, this is also where everything is already set up. So just in terms of ease, I'm like, yep, I don't have to move anything. It's just perfect. And and so if you were to start your podcasting journey over again, or if a, or if a presidential library were to come to you and say, Kristen, we're thinking about a podcast, what advice would you give us? What advice have you got? So I would say... It is helpful to map out a plan. Um, I will say we are still a little flat by the seat of our pants um, in terms of scheduling. It's really, we have picked a day. And so people know to look for us uh, on a certain day at a certain time. That's for the Facebook Live broadcasts. 
the podcast were being released on a pretty good schedule um, with our staff changes towards the end of last year, that schedule got a little kerfuffled. Um, although the intern helped through, through the end of, of last year as well. Um, and so we are just about to release our season two version of, and I'm mindful that is, you know, we're recording this towards the end of September. So we have been doing these programs all year, um, and have not been updating the podcast feed at the same time. So my goal for the podcast for rolling out for season two. Also, I kind of like, I don't know that I would start quite this late in the year, but it's also good to have a number in the can before you start the rollout, just so you don't have that constant, oh my gosh, what am I doing? What am I doing? Who's next? Who's next? So I would add that to the plan that people are making is try and get, depending on how many you want to do and and what your release schedule is, if you only want to release one a month, then I would say, give yourself three or four months and before you actually start releasing them. So that gives you just that generation time. Um, and then I also think releasing them on a consistent schedule is helpful for people. So if you say, okay, there will be a new one, the second Tuesday of every month or the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, people know when to look for things because part of what you're building with that audience as well is that need to come back, that, that drive to come back. Because if they do like what you're doing, then they're gonna want to hear more and more of it. Yeah. Those are so incredibly helpful. Thank you. And and I could not agree with them more, especially to make sure you have several episodes. I know one of the mistakes I made was as soon as I was doing my first episode, I published it. And then I'm like, and in five more days, I need another one. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like I should have figured out what I was doing and, and had a system in place before I was like, and here's the first episode. Um, if you were to go back and in time and say, okay, our budget for the first year of our podcast is going to be, what would you ballpark your budget at? So knowing what I know now, having that production person is is pretty important. And to be honest, the probably costliest part of this, um, I'm trying to remember what ours cost us. And that's not to say you can't find. So we we actually explored where that were their journalism programs where someone might need internship hours. And so they could they could handle the production for us or um were there uh new york state has something called boces which is a lot of technical uh students and so you know were, was there something there where where the students might also benefit from this i i didn't mind being a learning vehicle for someone but it was also something i knew i couldn't manage that mm -hmm. part of it as well so i would need them to have like if they had production questions i could not right. answer them so they needed to have a resource to do that. And ultimately, with the exception of our one summer intern, that wasn't a viable route for us. But I, I mentioned that just as other, other things for people to explore. You know, I would say, absent the $125 mic um, and, a, and a laptop with a good camera, uh, we probably spend, I want to say it's maybe $300 a month on the, yeah. the post-production side of it. Um, and so if you, depending on, and that is at this point, basically two, two broadcasts and two podcasts out of the same two recordings. Um, so part of what you would need to budget, it depends a little bit on how often you want to do one of these. Um, but you know, if, if over the course of a year, you're spending 3,600 to $5,000, it's probably a good investment for or the breadth that you get of, of the audience expansion. Yeah. 
And and obviously, I know I know there's some scale here, but so it sounds like about 150 an episode is maybe what you'd suggest budgeting. At least that's that's what ours is. So our person is relatively experienced. So he said, you know, for each hour that we do it, he thinks it takes him about an hour to yeah. do both the broadcast side and the podcast side. So it's about 75 bucks yeah. for each of those. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Oh, Kristen, uh, let me say this is amazing, but I've got this off the map question that. I got to, have to, must talk to you about. <laughs> um, I insta-stalked you. And I, al- I almost friended you on Instagram, but I know different people have different boundaries about their Instagram accounts. So I'm okay, I'm not going to do that. But, okay, um, I in- okay, so I insta-stalked you. And you are really into macro photography. And there's actually several photos that I was like, oh my gosh, how, how, how? And one of those was, it was like an ant on a lavender colored flower and there was dew drops on the yep. flower and the ant was now tell me more so there is a company called moment which has lenses and cases for pretty much any phone that exists so these are all done through my phone i have a samsung galaxy s9 um, so it's even a little bit dated uh and in addition to the macro lenses they have um a telephoto lens they have a wide angle lens they have a fisheye lens so Really, yeah. depending on what what you like to explore from a from a phone photography perspective, they probably have a lens that will help you. Um, they also have really good uh, classes or tips uh, on their website as well. Um, I carry my lenses with me everywhere. They're always in my purse. They actually come in this really, to be honest, I can't remember if I purchased the lovely carrying case that they come in or if that was part of it or not, but I have the lovely carrying case. Um, And it's something like if I'm only going to carry one thing, I will actually stuff a couple of credit cards and my money in there because my phone fits in. There's like a little slot outside the phone fits in there and the lenses are always inside. So um, I take them with me everywhere I go because you never know when inspiration will strike. I do. For, for those who do decide to insta-stalk me and feel free. Um, I do spend a lot of time just in my yard um, seeing what I can see. And so that particular picture that you mentioned with the ant and the it's a Rose of Sharon plant um, is in my yard. And so sometimes I'll just go out and especially when things are in bloom, I really like flowers and, and things that have funky textures. And so that's a lot of what I spend my time looking for probably also in addition to the do shot. So the fact that I got all of those into one was also a little bit of a yay for me um, perspective, but I I actually just took some, I haven't, uh, I haven't posted these yet, but I just took some recently of some of the bees in some of the flowers in my yard and the bees let me get close enough to take the photos. So yeah, so I'm excited about those too, but yes, I call them, you know, very big pictures of very small things. And uh, yeah, yeah. another one that really stood out to me, there was a blade of grass with a drop of dew and, and because of the reflection inside that drop of dew, it was like a whole world attached to this blade of grass. Again, again, like this is, this is how bad I am about phones. My phone's about to not get security updates anymore. So I'm about to get a new phone. And by the way, record two months (laughs) in advance. So you can try to hack my phone. It'll be a new phone by November. But um, (laughs) so I'm actually, I'm actually looking now at new phones and I'm like, oh, I I need need to figure out how to do this. This is really cool. Yep. So Moment makes it very easy. Just go to their website and tell them what kind of phone you have. And they bring up the cases that work for it. Um, and the lenses just sort of lightly screw in. It's sort of like a tab and slot mm-hmm. kind of thing. So you put the tabs in and just turn it a little bit and the lens is affixed to the case. It does only work. So these particular lenses only work with the moment cases. So it's not it's not interchangeable mm-hmm. outside of right. that. But the case I have, I 
am a, a relatively clumsy person. So I, I drop my phone not infrequently um, and the case protects it fine. So even just from, from that side of it, it works That's well. awesome. Kristen, thank you. And again, thank you so much for coming on. And I always want to make sure that every listener can know knows how to reach you. So there's a couple a couple of URLs, listeners, and things I just want to make sure you're aware of. The first is you can always go to roberthjackson.org and find out more about the Robert H. Jackson Center. Also, if you ever happen to find yourself in Jamestown, New York, which is a beautiful, beautiful town and a beautiful drive to get to, I'll add as well, make sure you do stop by the Robert H. Jackson Center. And you could also go to the Comedy Museum while you're there. Um, not n- not being paid by the Convention and Visitors Bureau of Jamestown, but, you know, Lucille Ball's <laughs> from there. So you could also go to the Comedy Museum there. And if you have birders in your audience, Roger Tory Peterson, who created the Peterson Bird Guide, is also from I did not realize that. Yes, and he he has his own institute. Here. Wow. Okay. See, one more reason to go to Jamestown. I love that. A couple other things. Kristen mentioned the YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube and just search for Robert H. Jackson Center and the YouTube channel will come up. And also make sure that you do check out the podcast, Liberty Under Law. If you want to see a nonprofit do an amazing job of a mission-based podcast, Liberty Under Law is the podcast for you to find and subscribe to. And if you're a history nerd, um, you're going to like it even more. So we're, we're going <laughs> to link to all of those things in our show notes. Kristen, thank you again. Thank you, Dolph. It's been a pleasure. All right, listeners, you know, we're winding down the episode, but I'd always want to also share with you additional episodes you might find interesting. So if this has whet your appetite, if this has made you think, yeah, maybe my nonprofit does want to start a podcast, check out episode 134, Broadcast with Your Own Podcast with Matthew Passy. Matthew's a podcast coach, and so he'll walk you through more of the actual nuts and bolts about how to do it. Today, my hope was just to make you go, wow, yeah, we can do this, and look at all the cool things that we would get from it if we did it. Another episode to check out is episode 222, Transform Your Public Speaking with Neil Gordon. You know, if you're going to do Facebook Lives, if you're going to do podcasts, you've got to get comfortable with, with speaking, even if it's not to a live audience, you've got to get comfortable with speaking. And that episode will do that as well. That, listeners, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive. And I say this every week because the lawyers make me say it. I'm not an accountant, nor am I an attorney. And neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. And guess what that means? That means that This podcast is for informational purposes only, and it means you should not rely on it for tax, legal, and accounting advice. Please do yourself a favor. Don't get that advice from podcasts. Don't get that advice from people on the subway or people you're listening to on the subway. Find a licensed, credentialed professional and get the counsel that you need. And if you're not sure what type of professional you should be reaching out to or if there's a professional in your area that maybe you should talk to, you could always reach out to me, and I am happy to help you think through that.